Okay. Uh, well, Happy New Year and welcome to Young Hearts. Uh, I am here today. I'm, I'm Kobe. I'm here today with Andrew, uh, my boyfriend. And um, today, uh, as you know, Andrew, you've actually seen the first two episodes, um, one of the few that has, and we're I'm so excited to have you on the show because I have loved talking to you about your past and your present and how our stories have joined here in San Francisco, specifically around your work with bodywork and your intuition and studies around the natural world. I've learned so much from you. Um, and I want you to tell us a little bit about where you're from and how you got here to San Francisco, California. Okay. Um, yeah, I guess, honestly, to start, I, I mean, I'm from everywhere. My dad was in the Marines, so I was kind of Tennessee, Hawaii, Philadelphia, Texas, but mostly Texas. Texas is my family, Texas. Yes all of that. It was my last stop before here. And um, I grew up in the Dallas area and um, made a little stop in Austin before here. But yeah, I'm, I feel like a Californian now. I've been here yeah. long enough. And it's, it's How long have you long have you been in California about? Um, permanently since 2013. So right. it'll be 10 years this October. Yeah, 10 yeah. years. And I remember from your story, you came to California and you pretty much headed straight for the Esalen Institute, is that right? To learn bodywork from the best institution in the United States that I'm aware of to teach it. I guess you could say that, yeah. I, um, <laughs> I was um, working for a spa that um, mm -hmm. had me take on their training department. And um, kind of the negotiation was, well, tell us where you want to learn and we'll, we'll send you there and get it taken care of. And um, I shot big and said, oh, well, I want to go to Esalen. Yes. And they sent me and... Nothing was ever the same again. I, um, yeah. I, after that first visit, I was driving down, um, driving down from San Francisco, and I was running a little behind. My flight was delayed. And you check in at like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. And I'm driving down, and where the 101 finally joins the 1, something like, I smelled something. I rolled down the windows. Mm. And it was just like the, the big redwood smell. You know, I'd the been California. in the airport. I'd been on the highway. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sitting there and I'm smelling this and there's just like this intense sense memory and I was just completely hmm. caught off guard by it and started like sobbing like oh my goodness. unexpectedly and had to pull over. Wow. And I pulled over for like 20 minutes and um, and then got back on the, the road again Yeah. and then three deer jumped over the highway and pulled over again. And between like different smells hitting me and these really intense palpable gut feelings of memory, I am... Um, it took me almost six hours to get down the highway to them. It should have been like a three-hour drive. Yeah. So I was late for dinner. I got there in the middle of the night. And yeah. um, if you, have you been to Big Sur? I have. Okay. So so you've driven the one, yes. Yes. And and um, doing that at night when I'm not a terribly yeah. good driver is yeah. um it was yeah. it was a long, long windy road with a lot of cliffs yeah. and treacherous wrong turns that could yes. be made. Yes, but and, beautiful. But beautiful. But at night, it's just, the beauty is gone. It's just the terror. <laughs> but then I, um, yes. but same thing on the way back home. I was, I was driving away from it. I missed my flight because I uh. had to stop and cry. And it was, um, it was the realization that home wasn't home, that Texas uh. was not it. And I, it was, um, uh, yeah, yeah, California was it at that point. And of course I had, you know, Esalen is a very big, um, a very, skewed 
sales sure. pitch for California. Yes. And yes. I just assume this is all of California. Yes. It's absolutely not. That's how it is. Uh, well, tell it, tell us, so we know the beginning and end now. Okay. And what what is Esalen in your words? Um, Esalen for me um, connected me to the human part of myself, I think. Mm. Um, I spent a lot of my life, most of my childhood and adult life, um, playing at being empathetic and mm-hmm. monetizing it, um, working yeah. in you know, working in cosmetics, working in spas, working in, um, right. in places where people depend on you to care for them and nurture them and make them feel held. And, right. um, and being able to perform when I was being paid and then immediately turning off when I went home mm. and um, having no real connection to anyone. And uh, something changed. I, I had been doing massage when I made it to Esalen for about two years. Yeah. Um, so not very long, but I'd been working in the spa industry for you know, a good five or six years before that. Um, and I had done massage work and I enjoyed the work. I enjoyed the physicality of it. I enjoyed the embodiment, like the feeling of being in my body, moving around in a very different yeah. way than I ever had. But I didn't care for my clients. Yeah. The there people. was no real, um, ha- were I not being paid, I wouldn't really have wanted to be doing it. I see. And, uh, and with, what happened for me at Esalen was the real unlocking of um, that that care, the the mm-hmm. feeling for the person on my table, and I think so much of it was reciprocity. When you're in these mm-hmm. courses, you're you're on a body with another person, and you get up and switch, and you switch with everyone in that room. Mm-hmm. And by the end of a week together, when you're also doing group therapy and baths and ecstatic dance in the morning and yoga right. and eating meals together and right. telling stories at night. There's so much intimacy built in that you can't help but care. And all it took was just hitting that toggle and Mm. it changed bodywork for me forever. I couldn't Mm. do bodywork in a different way. And um, I had already gone through massage school when I found Esalen. I'd already finished my certification and decided to do it again with their form because it was just, it was a completely different beast. And Mm. I I wanted to be able to share that with other people Mm -hmm. and I wanted to learn it as deeply as possible. And, um, and that's why I continued going back over and over again and yes. eventually left my life in Texas to take the big training with um, Perry and Johanna Holloman, mm. which was, um, again, that was the final pivot. That was the, mm. the moment when I gave up my life in Texas entirely. I called my mother. I told everyone I wasn't going to be yeah. living there much longer. Yeah. And yeah, so that was it. And came here and to came here. San Francisco. Is that right? I came here to San Francisco, but San Francisco wasn't the plan. Right. Um, the plan was to be like most of the other Esalenites, you know, a, a hippie in the woods living in your car until somebody gave you a stewardship of their land. Yes. <laughs> um, and so I spent yes. most of my visits practicing being homeless and practicing living in my car, learning where to sleep, where to stay, where yeah. I could shower, where I could get food, all those things. And then um, one of my last trips to Esalen before moving here, yeah. I um, had to stay in San Francisco, which I always did. Yeah. San Francisco, um, Esalen's very sexually charged, but not very gay-friendly in that way. I like, see. They're not homophobic at all. It's just hard to have gay sex in a space like that. Sure. And um, the way I have it anyway. And so, <laughs> and so I would always decompress in the city for a few days after yes. before going back to Texas. It's very promiscuous here in the best way. Come Absolutely. visit. <laughs> and that was it. It was, you know, you, you fill your calendar with a Sunday, a Monday, a Tuesday, and then you fly out Wednesday morning. Yes. And um, I met my husband on a Sunday. He was my first stop coming out of the woods. Oh, wow. And, um, and literally I booked him right like the three days leading into Esalen because I knew I'd be off grid. 
Yeah. I was like, okay, Sunday I'm coming out of the woods. Can I stop by your house? And he's like, sure. And um, I made it out of my car. Yes. And um, made it to his front doorstep. We didn't op- we didn't close the front door. Uh, we made it about three or four steps up the stairs, and ended up fucking each other for a good two hours before we finally realized, oh shit, neighbors, and closed the door and went back into his house. <laughs> wow. Um, yes. Yes. And that was what kind of shifted me to San Francisco versus yes. Yes. So you met online. We met online. Dudes, we met on dudes, dudes nude. nude. Yeah. Dudes nude. Yes. Dudes nude, which is um, basically lots of people typing pages and pages about themselves because yes. profiles don't have text limits yeah so so this yes you 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 journeyed to california you fell in love Mm -hmm. um with california first Mm -hmm. um you came you moved yourself here Mm -hmm. and then you found san francisco Mm -hmm. and so now there's the pull of of this city and its queerness Mm -hmm. um and about esalen Mm -hmm. um i wonder uh what, what do you think do, do you think you also have formed relationships with the people there in ways that, that were different? Are there stories there that... Did you fall in love at Esalen? Honestly, I did, over and over again. Yes. I mean, that's, that was... Um, I feel like that space is built for falling in love with people. Ah. I remember after that, the first visit, there was, um, there was a boy I fell in love with who worked on the grounds. He was, yes. you know, um, troubled and moody and... Um, <laughs> We were both coming out of old relationships, and yes. we kind of were what the other needed. And he took me on. He, um, I used to tell people he took me to see the unicorns. Like if you've ever seen Legend, that when he like takes Lily off into the woods to see the unicorns, uh, okay. it's like it's like the ultimate romantic gesture. Yes. And he basically took me up the creek. Yes. We had this like really intense relationship with him over three visits, and then after that, realized that part of the experience of Esalen is having an Esalen boyfriend while you're there. Yes. Having somebody <laughs> to hold all of the intensity that you're going through while you're there because otherwise big sur is terribly lonely and anybody who lives there will tell you it is the most intensely lonely place Mm -hmm. because there's so much big feeling and so much big nature and you feel so small Mm -hmm. and to be small and alone especially when there's huge community around you is terribly isolating terribly lonely Mm -hmm. so people find really they make relationships there they 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 have to have you have to have Mm -hmm. it's part of it it's part part of of the experience i and so it changed. It changed your career. It changed your life where you're living. Um, it changed the way you you see relationships. So you moved to San Francisco, and you started your own bodywork practice, essentially. Not immediately, but yes. Yes, I know there were steps in between. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to talk about the specifics of that that change. You know, other than caring, other than caring for someone, um, let, let's talk about the importance of of touch, uh, you know, for humans and in between humans. Okay. What stuck out for you there? Well, I think it, um, and what do it, most people not know that they should, you know, let's see what stuck out for me there. Um, I think probably the first like two or three days of my first like massage course at Esalen, I had memories of my grandmother and my grandmother used to tell me whenever there was a new baby, and there were always new babies in my family, and um, mm. there was this um, idea that when there's a new baby and you're looking at them a lot, you have to touch them. Mm. Because if you don't touch them, they don't have this sense of being right. real, part of things, and they'll eventually die. Yeah. There was this, um, she said it was giving them ojo, but <clears throat> I've never heard another, another Mexican person describe ojo that way. So my grandmother often like, makes up bullshit, and it doesn't really <laughs> matter. But, As all the best grandmothers do. 
But the idea was there that touch was important. It was a way of bringing people into reality, connecting them to you. And I had a very touch-heavy childhood. Um, and it was all positive touch. I was never spanked. It was never a part of my life. Um, but at the same time, there was a lot of uh, negative touching with like my cousins. And I just thought they were bad kids, so they get spanked. And it was a thing. And I spent most of my childhood avoiding negative touch. I see. And in the process, ended up avoiding touch in general and not liking to be touched by people unless it was family and it was obligatory. I didn't really want touching from anyone. And um, when I began working in the spa, you touch people a lot. But it was, um, it was wielding touch, kind of weaponizing it for money. Um, uh, learning, like, this is how you hold someone behind their arm to make her feel comforted and safe. Touch her behind her ear and on her chick here, and then she'll, she'll lean into you more and she'll buy the makeup. It's, right. It was really, really bad, and I'm really kind manipulative. of... Manipulative. Manipulative, yeah. yes. And yeah. I was really ashamed that, like, a very large corporation was selling this in every one of their brands. Like, yeah. I moved around a lot within this company, and every single brand I went to as a... Um, as a man selling cosmetics, they really capitalize on touching correctly. Uh, and, um, and so by the time I started massage, I just expected it to be more of that just for a higher price point. I see. And um, what changed at Esalen was the actual, again, the care, the empathy kind of that shifted where I couldn't touch people in a way without caring for them anymore. Mm. And it also meant not seeing strangers. Yeah. Um, most of spa work is being an available slot on a calendar and then filling it with a body that you may have never met before, that you may never see again, because they're looking for the block of time and the yeah. time of day, not for you. Yeah. And even though I had like a repeat business practice in Texas where I was yeah. seeing my own people, there was always that option of some stranger landing just on my table, in. just walking in. And I didn't know these people outside of my spa. I didn't know their lives or anything beyond my touch with them. Mm. Where here, um, I had the luxury of knowing everyone I touch. Any new person I meet has been referred by two of my other clients already. So there's that buffer. And they get this um they get the description of me through the eyes of the other person who's had their experience. Right. So there's a sense of um buy-in. Right. That also means that um I feel safer. They yeah. feel safer. Yeah. And San Francisco is a small enough city that I will see them and know them and see their lives and understand what happened to them last week before they arrive on my table. Right. There's um it 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 brings to mind this idea of the doctor who used to do house calls. When I was little, I always wanted to be a doctor who did house calls, but that was the condition. Like, I want to carry my little bag and I want to go to your house. I hate <laughs> hospitals. And, um, yeah. And this feels kind of like that, except, I mean, you're coming to me, but yeah. I know you. I know your husband. I know your family. And quite frankly, I've probably fucked all of you in your family because it's <laughs> San Francisco. It's a big queer world here. Um, <laughs> yes. Which, um, depending on where this airs, I might not be able to say that, but <laughs> we can get it. Um, yes, but it, but it is a difference. Is it is being embedded in the community? Yes, and that's what this touches. It's um, it's restoring a missing piece of community for Americans. We don't have healthy community level touch. Right. Touch for us is partner based or yes. sexual partner based, familial partner yeah. or sexual. Yes, yes, it's very true. Um, like from my from my own experience, um, learning how to slow people down with a soft touch has been extremely important mm -hmm. um, to intimacy. Um, there's you know there's the the type of people, um, especially with with <clears throat> gay sex, like it can be or with men in general, <laughs> the idea of like being rough, mm -hmm. grabbing, um, like moving around and 
everything can be sexy, but mm-hmm. there's an importance to being able to, um, I, the way I was taught, it's called ecstatic touch when you're just barely touching someone, mm-hmm. like the skin is maybe touching, maybe not touching. And it's almost heightens the nerves to be hyper aware of like, what is this? Am I being touched? Is it happening? Is it not? Mm-hmm. Um, and that gentleness in a way is more powerful than like, a harsh grabbing right um because of the way it captures attention um and it's the same kind of touch that i think we we think about when we see movies of you know ancient um ancient arts of of like maybe like uh, flow arts and and like tai chi and and like this moving chakras and like it's this you see this slow kind of flowy movement um and how that relates to the body and um for me it helps just slow someone down. If someone responds to a light touch, I know that I can slow them down enough to connect with them. Um, if they don't, it means to me that they're probably too obsessed with what they've got going on, that they actually aren't listening to what I'm telling them with the light touch. And that we probably can't have a nonverbal conversation. Um, so I, I wonder, you know, you, you touched on such a good point. Like, um, you know, a, a, a tenet of healing work is that, uh, or of, of healing wisdom from older humans and ancient cultures and healing work as long as it's been done is that not every healer can heal every wound on every person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the wisest advice I got um, was that you can only really heal things that you've healed in yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I when you talk about yourself, not, uh, you know, you can't work with everyone. Not everyone responds the way that you're giving. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I wonder, I wonder then, you know, learning these skills, you're out of the world of manipulation. Mm-hmm. Um, you're into this world of touch and empathy. How has it affected, you know, your relationships with, with, with the new people that you meet uh, and your intimate relationships? I mean, I think it is the same, the same as it is with my clients. Honestly, it feels like there's a. Um... So, so that's good. So your clients, in a way, are a type of intimate relationship. Well, I think they are. Yes, they are intimate relationships, and I think the same rules that apply, like the boundaries I set with my clients, yes, are the same boundaries I set with community. And it is like what you were asking for. If somebody's not available to listen to what you're giving with your touch, mm-hmm. maybe they're not available for you. And there's been a lot more of the. Um, you know, the enthusiastic yes being a big part of determining mm. who I meet up with. And what is the enthusiastic yes? I mean, the enthusiastic yes is just that somebody's not settling for you. You know, yeah. it's not it's not the, you know, the dick clock at the end of the bar when you're just finding something because <laughs> there's nothing left. It's this is the one that I saw immediately that made the point to come over to say hi, to smell me, to, you know, do all the things because yes. they yes. want it that badly. Yes. And we deserve to be with people who want us that badly. And that goes for clients. They deserve somebody who wants to be working on them. And it goes for relationships. You deserve someone who wants to be with you. Yes. As much as you want to be with them. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, That's such a good lesson that I I think I had to learn a hard way is, um, you see it so often in the past, uh, I've looked, I've been the person in the bar towards the end of the night um, kind of with the puppy eyes of like, who will take me home? You know, who, who will make me feel like validated, mm-hmm. desired. Mm-hmm. Um, and I learned 
thankfully pretty quickly that the person that would really fill me up the most would be not the person that is super big and muscular and conventionally attractive mm -hmm. um, and seems to be popular. Um, in fact, it is almost impossible to get their attention. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you did have it, uh, it probably wouldn't treat you well. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, the, the person uh, that would be best was exactly as you say, the person that came and gave you attention um, in, in a kind way, mm -hmm. in an interested way, mm -hmm. in a not projecting way. Um, you know, they're not, there's one thing to fetishize someone, and there's another to be curious and to appreciate uh, how they are, how they smell, how they dance, um, how they touch, right? Um, do, you, do you think there's certain cues you can tell immediately when you touch? Are there any specific touch cues when you, you're like, oh, they get it, or they don't? I mean, honestly, no. I feel that... Mm -hmm. um, with the amount of touch that I receive, I'm very aware that most people don't have a huge vocabulary for touch. And so it's not really, um, it's not necessarily a reflection on them if they don't know how to touch me or how to convey what they're trying to with their touch. I mean, some people have very, very hungry or very needy touch that yeah. can be really disarming and really off-putting. And yeah. it's not necessarily their fault. There's just a lack of education there. There's sure. a lack of experience there. Or maybe they've just not been touched in a way that would reflect that, and so they don't really right. have an idea. Excuse me one second. But yeah, so there is a lot more compassion for people who um, just have mm. awful touch. Awful. <laughs> I mean, it's just yes. like people who, who kiss really poorly. Like, you uh, have a great conversation, you're uh, touching things are great, and then something is just really wrong. Right. And, um, right. And there's no right or wrong way to kiss. There's just a... Um, wrong for me. Yes. That. And there's that. definitely a wrong for me. And um, it's not always a conversation I have the energy to have. No. But <laughs> Unfortunately, most of this is less... You know, you say education, but I think the second thing you said feels more correct, which is experience. Mm -hmm. Like, has someone gotten to that point in life where they learn how to how to li listen mm -hmm. to what the other person's body is saying mm -hmm. and amplify it mm -hmm. or respond mm -hmm. and acknowledge it um, rather than you know, that, the, the needy or the um, there's the needy there's also the like the scared mm -hmm. the passive uh, yeah um, I'm wondering how do you think how do you think this is then I would say, how do you, how have your relationships now changed because of your work in touch then? Uh, or with, I would say with, with body work, uh, with um, this focus on, on empathy and others, how has it, how has it morphed your relationships? You, you mentioned you met your husband, um, that relationship. See, I mean, I think now I definitely require more touch. Mm -hmm. And more than anything, I require being allowed to touch. Mm -hmm. I need someone who is receptive to touch a lot. Yeah. A lot more than I ever thought I would. Because I used to be so touch-averse, but mm. I need touch. I need lots of just simple, casual, lying-around-the-house contact. Yeah. You know, a knee yeah. touching when you're at the movies, a hand on the lap. A, when I'm asleep, but the thing that 
I very rarely find somebody who can manage this, but when I'm sleeping, having my hand at the top of the head does a uh, thing for me. Uh, and there's something about, or top of the head and base of the spine and being able to hold both. Yeah. Like, yes, there's like this, there's a sense cradling. of a closed target and like yeah. the entire cradling and it's, ah, oh, it, it, I sleep so well. Okay. But so few people can handle that specific orientation, that like that specific shape. I see, I see. So when I find them, I treasure them. They're very, you know, it's, um, and it's also, I think, it doesn't affect my current relationships, relationships, but the way I touch people in public settings, like especially mm -hmm. like in larger parties, and mm -hmm. um, I find that like you were talking about the kind of like the violence, the aggression that is yes. really prevalent in yes. in gay culture. Yes, and I mean I think that's largely just the porn we watch, and I mean I guess the testosterone yeah. does something too, but I think part of it is that men who are intimate with each other in our childhood tend to not be homosexual men and so intimacy looks like violence i mean my dad and i used to like physically wrestling, fight wrestling, wrestling lots sparring, of wrestling lots as of a that. child yeah and um and yeah. there is something kind of exciting about growing into the the big dumb right. guy i mean we are brutal with each other as gay men and i love that but at the same time it can be fun <laughs> there's um but my touch in most public right. settings doesn't go that way it goes to the very nurturing the very mommy there is firmness yeah. but there's firmness in presence rather than firmness in submission like yes, there's a yes it's a lot of yes. like the cradling I, and lifting pressure versus a downward pressure right. i mean it's very specifically directional and mm -hmm. it relates to the massage work it's when you grab somebody you don't squeeze them right. you lift them you hold from behind the yes. head but there's like it's all cradle it's all support right yes it's the language like, of the way i am in relationship like for example like how does the the hand on the shoulder feel how does how does the hand on I mean, for me, it feels kind of patronizing, but yes. that's just okay. no. That's correct. That's what I feel too. That's if I was doing this to you, I would feel patronized. Right. Um, I'm trying to think how could I do it in a supportive way if it was like here. I think there's a there's a happy medium because small yes. in the back is also patronizing. It's how you, yeah, you know, escort okay. women through the mall. That's and so fair. There's a and so there is like that that little medium spot, and I think it's less about the location and more about the quality the of touch. Mm -hmm. There's this um, man named Rob Wilkes. He's mm. a phenomenal teacher. And I one day got to be his model when we were massaging. And he walks up to the table and just places his hand on the small of your back. And it felt like his entire body was pressing down into my back, but not like weight-wise. It was just like I felt the entirety of him in that contact. Mm -hmm. I knew he had his full attention on me. Mm. And I was very aware of his full attention on me. There was no distraction whatsoever. And for the entire massage, I always felt as if he had his full focus on me. And there's something about being able to give that kind of touch in a crowded club with lights, with substances, with all the things going right. on, to be able to cut through it. And I think it's different for every person. But like, like, mm -hmm. but when you when you go in and you're feeling for it, you put your hand where you feel for it, mm -hmm. and, you, and you find out is it mm -hmm. right or not. Mm -hmm. But and it's different for every person. Mm -hmm. Like I touch you differently than I touch Stephen, than I touch everyone and it's just whatever whatever i feel like you're calling for if that makes sense of course of course and i mean and that does sound it's like a I game mean, of listening yes. after consent but yeah <laughs> <laughs> of course but um, um but no it's different for every person but i think the the key to it is presence the key to it is yes. i'm actually not looking for the next thing if you say no i'm here oh of course it, it's not a it's not about yeah it's not about a you know, when engaging physically with someone, it's not about this path that you've imagined. And if you do the right steps, it all works out as you as you think it will. It's being so involved in the moment that the moment there's 
it doesn't even have to be contact. There's mm-hmm. something about just close but not contact. Mm-hmm. You listen to what is coming next, and then it flows into what's very much similar to a dance, mm-hmm. an improvisational dance mm-hmm. um, is how it often feels. Uh, I think we have a great connection with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you're right, like our, our, our queer spaces uh, in the city, a packed, a packed gay dance floor where it's the best ones, it's sweaty, and um, clothes are coming off, and so you're brushing up against people. You're fighting for like your space to dance. We just did this this weekend. <laughs> uh, you're like, I'm trying to move. I'm trying to touch. My friends are around. I want to hug them. Uh, maybe I want someone also behind me. And it's kind of this feeling out of things and people. Um, and then in it all, it became. I remember a moment where it became uh, so so wrapped and and tight and like there's people and we're moving and it's hot um but then wanting to slow down and it's like well how do you tell someone to to slow down without words and it it comes back to that like 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 you said the the non-manipulative but the gentle like touch Mm -hmm. behind the ear Mm -hmm. and like pulling the you know pulling of the face Mm -hmm. it's kind of something about this says like there's an admiration of the of the beauty of, mm-hmm. of a face, of a jawbone, of a beard, um, uh, and and being able to listen for that, I think, is quite beautiful. So. Makes somebody feel like the beauty instead of the beast. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Uh, and, and talk about queerness, right? Um, like that's the the beauty of us not adhering to to gender roles so much mm-hmm. is that. Um, you can be the beast in one second, and then the beauty in the next. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think yes. That's <laughs> the brief the brief way into queerness. I remember that night. Um, a what song, was it? A Diana Ross song? What is it? A a song had come on um, that you you blurted out a noise and you're like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh God, you, I you. I don't remember the song. I, I remember the I remember the moment. You were like, ah! And I was like, oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> I was like, he's he's having a moment. Like, this is great. And you apologized. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sorry. And I was like, oh my gosh, please don't apologize. I want to hear your excitement for this song and this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're like, oh, I'm sorry for... I think you said, I'm sorry for fagging out. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I wanted to say was... And what I... So now it's like you never have to apologize for that, uh, embracing all of those parts. And I honestly think for me, I think the big difference, and this actually brings me back to like the inquiry you brought up earlier, is that I'm so used to dancing alone in clubs, which oh. is why I love it. There's full permission because I'm not answering to anyone. Yeah. And I'm constantly singing along. It's why I love dad. It's why I love that party is, is that it is gay sing-along dancing, and I love it. And... Actually, Dad does probably say that about themselves. About that's why I go. Why I go. <laughs> and um, and when dancing with somebody else on the on the floor, like yes. there, I do have that sense of um, checking myself for a second because I'm yes. not just dancing for myself. Yes. And um, and so yeah, it's good to say thank you, but it also just reminds me that uh, you were talking about how there's the curiosity. Like you're not like setting up a plan of what's going to happen. You don't go in knowing the outcome. You're going in to see what will come of it, and you keep asking as you go. And that really is what touch is, is inquiry. 
It's a it's a dialogue between both people, mm-hmm. and um, it's why massage works the same way. We don't talk, but their body is saying things underneath. And you yes. change pressure, you change direction, you yes. find ways to change. Yes. And through it, I've discovered so many things that I thought I didn't like, mm. that I just didn't like the way they were delivered. Mm. And um, and that's with most of my partners. There are things about each of them that I don't like when other people do, but I love when they do. And things that I've gotten mm. really into that I never thought I would. Yeah. And it's um. Yeah. And I think that is that is the full approach. It's inquiry. It's all mm-hmm. inquiry based. It's mm-hmm. never having that set plan for exactly what you need. Yes. And so many gay men that I know, when they make it onto a, a dance floor, they're like. I want to find this size of dick and we're going to be in this position because it's the only way I like to fuck and this is how I'm getting off. <laughs> yes. And I need to do it as soon as Beyonce yeah. comes on. It's like, you know, it's all the things at once. Yeah. And it's, it's not just gay men. It's, it's every, every, the straights. The yeah. I think a lot of people these days are coming to life with checklists and with preconceptions and with specific imaginations of how things should be mm-hmm. and it's not an inquiry and it's not open you know I'm open to this I'm not open to that we think about profiles mm-hmm. and writing who we're into and who we're not into mm-hmm. what we're willing to do and what we're not um, and I think most people I, I work at a relationship company mm-hmm. and our biggest success always is when we can convince a client not to hold so tightly mm-hmm. to their preconceived notions mm-hmm. of who their partner is, but more importantly, who they are <laughs> and, uh, and how those relate. Um, so it's, it's a beautiful thing to, 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 to see that and to practice that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you go in and you ask, you see who's there and um, be open. Yes, I love it. Um, I, I wanted to talk about... Um, also, the other another thing I cherish you for, um, which is you've taught me so much about plants. Mm-hmm. You know, um, are you know one of the five kingdoms um, of of life, uh, extremely important one, entirely dependent uh, we are on them for life on Earth, um, and they're extre- extremely important. Uh, for many other things other than just us eating them or them creating the oxygen we breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I've been inspired recently, recently got houseplants, mm-hmm. uh, inspired uh, by the desire to have a closer connection to this kingdom of living things that is very much part of us and has been a part of us since the beginning, since the beginning of all animals, there's been a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have honestly had somewhat spiritual moments, I would say spiritual moments, with plants in ways that feels more real than perhaps parts of my, many parts of my Catholic upbringing, mm. uh, where I'm relating more to symbols and people. Um, because there's such a deep gratitude for the work that these living things do on their own every day um, and in such adaptable intelligent ways that uh with medicines and that we can't perceive and so now that i've talked about my just my newest recent excitement about uh something that i regrettably for most of my life i was not taught about how to take care of plants Mm. how to uh, i grew up in the south i did not know how to garden i did not know about farming um uh and yet now um 
there's that appreciation. And, and I wanted to talk about maybe a specific example. Um, your massage room, your bodywork room is full of plants. And I think it might be one of the first places where through touch, which I was learning, because mm-hmm. um, I was a bodywork client of yours, mm-hmm. and then with the plants and the smells of the herbs and the life in that room that you created, kind of set me on a path of further exploring that. And uh, I'd like you to tell me a little bit about this this room and your design of it. Okay. I mean, the design of that room is pretty much based on the way we designed the last spa that I worked at. Mm-hmm. Um, I was lucky enough to start with them, told us to choose everything, so we just chose the best possible options for, you know, linens and paint and what you use for everything. And um, for me, the main, um, the driving force behind like, the design of it is um, the way um, Rudolf Steiner designed Waldorf schools. And it's okay. this sense of creating a space that's ideal for human um, sensory awareness mm. and what you were describing earlier with the ecstatic touch where it's the barely there and the yes. point of it is to make you listen harder to yes. like to pull, draw you out yes and it's where you have softer colors you have um, lack of hard edges so you use gradients in your paint rather than solid mm. walls mm. Um, I, you don't notice it generally unless the lighting is really high in that room but the walls are about seven different colors of paint that shift from one to the other. There are no real hard lines anywhere. Mm. Um, all the mirrors cantilever, so you don't, none of them actually reflect each other. Mm. There's no, um, anywhere you look, you're reflected back from different angles rather than having the same vision of yourself. Right. Um, the depth of the walls changes everywhere. So they're false walls so that you can look through and see further depth behind them. Yeah. So you get the sense that you're outdoors when you look in yes. certain directions. The idea is that there's yes. this illusion of depth. Yes. And um, so that's part of it, is this sense of being able to get lost. Mm-hmm. There, it's a sense of distraction, a sense of taking you out of place. You don't feel like you're in the neighborhood that you're in. Right. Yeah, and that's don't. kind of part of it. Um, plants also muffle sound beautifully. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've been like in Muir Woods where it's a rainy mm-hmm. day and a child starts screaming and then suddenly they stop and you realize, oh, they went behind the hill and the plants completely absorb the sound. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. And um, it's, I like it better than foam padding. I mean, I use some of that too, but <laughs> plants muffle sound. And then yes. I think the most important part of it is that um, doing healing work surrounded by plants, there's this um, passive download of wisdom. And we're going to get hippy-dippy, I guess, with it. Oh, but, yeah, let's do it. But, it's, um, <laughs> but yeah, there's, um, because most of body work, you learn what you learn. You go to school. You learn the steps. You learn the alphabet of it. And then when you're really doing it, it's the forgetting all of it, and it's the listening, it's the inquiry. It's the body telling you what to do next. Yes. It's nice to have the tools to keep your hands healthy and your body healthy as you're working, but the reality of it is that it's full improvisation. If you're doing it right, yes. it should be improvisational the entire time, mm-hmm. and every service is different, and every body asks for different things. Yes. It, should never be, it should never be choreographed. Yes. And um, I mean... You choreograph the first year when you don't know what you're doing until you cultivate the listening. Yeah. And when you're doing that in that kind of room, sometimes there's feedback from the body that your body doesn't understand. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's a thing, it's, a, it's a different language spoken, a different experience that you don't know. Mm-hmm. And having plants in the room is kind of a... Uh, it's kind of... A, I don't want to say a translator, but it's a buffer for that. It's another sounding board. It's another, it's another, it's another consciousness to mm-hmm. have listened to and maybe get some feedback from. Mm-hmm. And 
why I say that because you know plants the communication is not verbal it's not you know words it's right. it is this kind of sensory feedback back and forth and when you're surrounded by them the whole time you're just drawing on the little whispers from the walls if you would yeah and it's not true. hearing them it's feeling them. it's your Absolutely. body suddenly knowing what to do when it didn't and mm -hmm. i credit that to being surrounded by plant life the entire time mm -hmm. in there it's just like the best massages i've ever given have been outdoor massages when i've had the option of doing it on beaches in the woods in yeah. places where you're surrounded by nature it's yeah I, there's this sense of power of there is nothing at all that you could bring to my table that i couldn't address mm. when i'm doing it here mm. Mm. and while this room isn't that it's as close as i can get in a tiny apartment in San Francisco. Yes. Yeah. Yes, you've done the absolute best with with what you had. Um, it's we talked about you know consciousness, mm -hmm. um, and for I think most of my life, and for most people raised in a Western education system, you're pretty much taught that consciousness is human and that nothing else really is conscious. And you, maybe you have a little bit of a debate like what animals have feelings and you're like oh well dogs have feelings but like cows don't because we eat those and then everyone kind of has their opinions and then when you get down to plants pretty much most people think no plants are just they're just basically inanimate and they <laughs> grow um and i started to really challenge that idea within myself and realized just how really painful it is to uh reconcile like oh like these th these huge biomass of living things that communicate with each other through you know mycelial networks if you want to get into mushrooms another kingdom um but also through their pollens um and i like as we're discovering now also through other means um th there's there's consciousness in every living thing and arguably perhaps even in non-living things um and wisdom there and I, one of the sayings I believe is um, that uh, I think it goes for the, me the, the medicine of uh, like ayahuasca, which many Western people are trying now, um, that the, the chances, I, I believe the statistical chances of out of all the plants in the rainforest, the, the people there finding these two plants and doing the very specific chemical process that they have to do to like boil one and extract the other and to turn it into the the active medicine of ayahuasca um, for them to know how to do that or to just have tested that and have come across it would be an extremely rare statistical chance um, and the the idea is that the story how, well how is this medicine found the story is consistently um the, the plants told us mm -hmm. The plants told us um, we we knew what to do, um, if not that they told us. I um, mean, it's that nonverbal communication, uh, something that maybe most of us aren't even um, able to to receive in most of our ways of thinking and and our um, our daily like habits. <laughs> so it's something so amazing, and yet something so so subtle. You have to pay attention. Um, I remember going on many. Uh, when we two years ago, when we were just acquainting, we went used to go for walks in the forest, and you would just it starts with just a subtle um, inquiry, giving your attention to something that you have before you've just given it a name. It's a bush, it's a flower, um, 
maybe you know its real name, mm -hmm. uh, its its exact name, um, and you pass it as just another thing. Um, and you challenge that in me by saying, well, why don't you stop and observe it and don't think about its name, don't mm -hmm. think about its objectification, mm -hmm. and um, notice its coloring, um, notice the way it moves in the wind, uh, notice the, the, the bees around it, um, smell it. Um, how do you feel when you're around it? You know, do you not want to touch it? Do you want to touch it? Um, how do you want to touch it? Um, and it's, it's through these, um, at first you feel very, this is very hippy dippy. I'm talking to a plant and then you realize, oh no, but, but it is, there is, there is there, there. Um, you, you can't exactly do that with uh, a wall in your room or a dresser. Um, but this thing is living. It will change as you watch it every day. Yeah. And it will respond <laughs> sometimes faster than other times. Yeah. Um, so it's, uh, it's been beautiful to, to begin to, to see that through, through you, but you've been studying this for a lot longer than I have. Yeah. Um, I know you're, you've taken courses in, in botany, is that right? Or in other Yes, subjects? I wouldn't recommend those. Though. Yeah. Yes. And I think just to like touch on what you were saying there a bit more, I think you um you made you made the point when you said that, you know, you know its name, I know what that is, and I'll keep walking. Yeah. And I think that relates to the way that naming affects all of our relationships, not just yes. those with plants. Yes. I think we see the person in the club that we know and it's like, yes. Oh, that's her. This is you know, that's it, we'll go. Yes. And it's um and what would it be like if we did actually approach the people we know, the people we've named, the people we've categorized and labeled, and they're done, and gave them fresh eyes each time, and we're able to actually engage and see who are you today? You know, like what is, what is that? Because I think what really changed it for me was the sense of, um, I think you've had one of these experiences too, where you finally sit with a plant long enough that you get a negative feedback. You're like, I'm sad here. I'm a prisoner. I'm yes. lonely. Yes. I'm. Yes. It's. Yes. And it is like living in a house with someone giving you a silent treatment for years. Yes. And they don't look at me. They don't acknowledge me. I'm, I may as well not even be here, but I'm here. Yes. And then one day they notice you. Yes. And they talk to you. Mm -hmm. And the trick is to keep doing it. Because what an awful thing to finally say hi and then never do it again. Yes. It's, and I think that not knowing the names is a an easier entryway than having a named thing. Yes. I, yes. The botany courses have made my life so much harder in this. It's so much because yes. every time I look at the thing, it's identification first. It's yes. choosing the leaves, choosing the background, choosing the origin. Yes. What is this for? Yeah. How do I make medicine? And that's yeah. really the big thing is the extractive portion of it. Yes. What is the resource that you give me? What can I use you for? Yes. And that's sadly to say such a big part of relationships for me also is, yep. you know, okay, what do, do I need to talk to you today? What can I use you for? What do I need you for? Yeah. I feel like plant yeah. communication is practice for Humans. good human communication yeah. because we know how to do it badly, Yeah, but we could all get better at doing it in an earthling way versus mm -hmm. a civilized way. Yes, yes. No, civilized as a negative connotative word is something that's new for me, but that feels right in, in the sense that you know, civilization is about, oh, I forget the root of the word, but it's like of, I think it's of the city. It's specifically saying like of, like I'm, I'm not of nature, mm -hmm. uh, which is so strange. It's civil versus heathen. Yeah. There you go. Um, 
And so to, to deliberately exercise herself from nature, like kind of put the dividing line as a negation, I'm not of nature, I'm not of the wild. Um, when we very much are, <laughs> we are inex inextricably tied to the natural world. We can't survive without it. Um, and, and, and in its ways of communication and, and like to view um, other, if you're, you know, we like to think that we view other humans as humans, not as objects. Mm -hmm. um, and a slippery slope is that we're unfortunately trained to view most other living things also as objects. Uh, and like you said, used as resources, you know, as resources to use them. Um, and it is, it, it, it often can be about taking that, um, in the same way, taking that moment with uh, someone to listen to what they need and how they're feeling. And it's not verbal. Always. It's mm -hmm. often not verbal. Um, it's through touch. It's through meeting their needs. It's through just observing them. Mm -hmm. um, and doing so in a way that's not linguistic. It's not thinking with your, um, with your brain so much as it is thinking with your uh, heart and your emotions. Um, you know, it, um, but specifically, I think as the specific... I've been learning about like heart-centered communication and heart-centricity. Um, and it's the idea of um, in your interactions with, I would say, humans, but really all living things, um, visualizing. And the visualization is really just a crutch because we're so trained to be headstrong um, in the West, in the, here in the West. Visualizing as if you're holding whatever it is you're with in a field of your heart um, and actually conjuring emotions uh, of empathy, of love, of, uh, you know, the, what, are, what are the five, I think they're Taoist mantras. I, I believe it's, I, 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 I wish for you to be healthy. I wish for you to be happy. I wish for you to be, um, living with ease and there's a couple of others but they create a sense of um it's these well-being wishes mm -hmm. that ultimately conjure a sense of love for the being that is in front of you mm -hmm. um and <laughs> actually my christmas cards this year um i just I actually just wrote those mantras for everyone because mm -hmm. in doing so i also had to practice that feeling of being with them and of wishing them well rather than just uh saying you know merry christmas and mm -hmm. it, it's a cognitive process that is easy and that i'm familiar with but to slow yourself down and to write you know and to to visualize like what does it mean for this person to be healthy can i imagine them being happy mm -hmm. can i imagine them living life with ease you know seeing the stress melt from their face and then to do that again like okay now i'm, I'm gonna water my plant mm -hmm. and i'm gonna imagine it growing mm -hmm. and it sucking up the water with its uh roots and it feeling the sun and how good that might feel for it mm -hmm. um and at the same time i'm also going to notice like oh but the wall might be blocking some of its sun right now um or perhaps i didn't put enough soil and those roots are not looking so happy and that the communication is in the emotion of oh 
if I want it to be happy, this doesn't feel happy. Mm -hmm. It's not the, well, the angle of sunlight coming at, you know, 40 degrees at this time of day is, it's not thinking about it that way at all. Well, and I think what's important there is the note that where somebody could easily say, oh, well, that's you noticing things objectively that you're looking at. You're just, you know, you're being, you're through process of elimination stating that while a plant needs its roots covered, it needs that wall to be uncovered. If you've taken the time to sit and be in space with that plant and to emote to the plant and around it, who's to say that what you're not doing is intuiting its feedback? It's, mm -hmm. I want to be happy. Here's how you can help me. Mm -hmm. And just giving you that little nudge that you weren't noticing before. It's um, because that really is how this plant communication is supposed to work. It's reciprocal. It is both of you sharing. And it's less about it's less about you telling it what you're going to do and what you want from it. Right. And more just like, this is me happy. This is me grateful. This is yes. me in my best way. Yes. Show me that for you. Yes. It's a chance for it to tell you what it means, what yes. it wants, what it's feeling. Yes. yes. Yeah. Which is such an easy <laughs> comparison to people, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's, we talk about um, showing our best selves mm -hmm. and the, the funny like chicken egg problem of people want a relationship and they want to be loved and they want to be appreciated and they want to feel good. Um, and yet if you can't conjure that for yourself and for, for those around you, um, the likelihood of someone else just giving it to you for you to suck it all up mm -hmm. is pretty close to zero. Exactly. And that's why I feel like this, this practice of, you know, heart centered communication, whether through plants or anything else, it's good practice for us because to start your baseline is always first conjure up your your, your gratitude, own. your yes. happiness, yes. your yes. your ideal states. Yes. Be able to pull them into existence in your body, to embody yes. them at any moment. And once you get in the practice of being able to do that, it means that at any point you can give yourself that. Yes. Because for all that your brain and body know, it's actually happening. Mm -hmm. And that it's it's a silly piece of brain gymnastics, but that's how these bodies operate. These mm -hmm. bodies are made to be able I mean, especially as queer people, we are constantly learning ways to get around the ways our bodies operate, but if we actually just sort of lean into the wonderful design of how our brains and bodies interact to create our existence, we wouldn't have to have quite so much of the suffering that we're having around all of this. And I think too that, like just in, in what you were talking about there with, you know, like having other people kind of suck all of the joy out of you when you're needing it because you just want a relationship and you're not really there for it. I feel like there is actually, no, I just lost my train of thought. That's, that's, that's quite all right. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's, it's quite all right. Um, it's, it's in this practice of relating to other, other living things, you, you start to realize that, the brain often is not as much of an advocate as sometimes we are led to believe, uh, uh, but uh, a kind of helping tool. Mm -hmm. um, and it's something that can often get in, get in the way. We talk about getting out of our heads. Mm -hmm. um, and there's something about being present in our bodies mm -hmm. um, and in our environment, I think, that pulls us to the present. Mm -hmm. for, for me, I've learned that I can very 
the more I'm stuck in my head and um, in that space, the more likely I am to find a reason to be unhappy with my current state. Um, and then to kind of dwell on that. It, it's kind of like a um, the brain works, and the brain works to find its own like uh, reason to to uh, to work. It's like, oh, I'm not working on anything, but I, I better find a problem to work on to validate my my spinning of the gears, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and I'm speaking fully to my own my own self and psyche, um, but finding ways to to slow that down to stop it uh, and to conjure these emotions of well-being for another mm-hmm. um any any other thing and even a place a place people a group of things um organisms um and then to listen to what they say back in whatever way they they do be it slow or fast um and to realize that emotions aren't so internal after all. They're not like just these internal processes. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're very affected by external variables. Mm-hmm. Um, but those variables aren't so cause and effect. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're, they're often soft. Um, and uh, perhaps the I'll say, I, I found that perhaps the worst way to... Um, deal with an, uh, with an emotion is to, is to, is <laughs> that, that's cyclical, but the worst way to deal with emotion an emotion is, is to, uh, not deal with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in other words, in other words, to stop its process, mm-hmm. to, uh, unvalidate it, mm-hmm. uh, and to like dis- dismiss it, um, in, in a way that, that pushes it farther, mm-hmm. um, rather than letting it come and, and move through I think one of the um, one of the most practical lessons I picked up in like the first two days at Esalen was mm. this. Um, we were having a like basically a heart circle, you know, like yeah. everyone sharing and things, and um, and someone sort of. Can we crying. say what a heart circle is? I, I mean, so basically, it's a um, everyone gathering together in a circle, yes, and having permission to say what they're how they're presenting that day. Yes. So it's um, this is where I am. So like when we were doing it, it's um, it was a group of like your work group and then your cabin group who you live with and then who you're in workshop with. And each day it let everyone know what they're going through when they come so that I don't want you to touch me today or Amanda's made me feel like shit the last two days and I don't want her to be near me. You know, it's like, it's the things that are hard conversations. Whatever is on your heart that you're holding, you let it out. It's public. Everyone knows. And there's nobody answering you back. Yes. It's literally you just letting, it's an expression and then everyone is holding it. And everyone gets to, you don't have to, but it's a chance for you to express freely, to not have to carry a thing, to not not deal with the emotion, but to get out in a way that doesn't end in violence or anger. I mean, you can be angry in the circle and then you can go back to being in community in a right way, I guess. And that's not going to be... It's permission. Permission for that. That's to have that space held for you, which is meaningful. And I'll say that different spaces had different definitions of, of course, heart circles too, so that, that's not for everyone, but of that's course. just was my experience of it. But specifically what came up there was mm-hmm. um, somebody broke down into very heavy tears Oops. and somebody ran across with a bag of tissue or a box of tissues yes. and went to offer them up. And the facilitator was like, no. And the girl was very like, she's crying. Like, why are you giving her a tissue? It's like, because she's crying. 
said, well, but why does she need a tissue? She's, does she ask for a tissue? No. What is you offering a tissue tell her if she's crying? It tells her to stop. Yeah. And that's not the purpose of a heart circle. It's not to negate someone's feelings or to tell them it's time to stop them and that they're too much. It's to let right. it out. Right. And it's always been something I've taken with me because in massage, there's a lot of crying. Mm. Um, a lot of time because it's not having to verbally go through what you've been through, but to feel it in your body sometimes is too much to handle. And things come out and you start sobbing and you start having, because no one's around, you're alone, nobody's looking at you. It's the perfect opportunity to just, your face is in the cradle where nobody can see you. Mm -hmm. It's just letting it out. Mm -hmm. And it happens so much. And yeah. I have tissues available, but I never offer them mm -hmm. because the ideal is to continue working. Whatever you're doing that let that come out, I yeah. want to do more of that. I want to let it keep coming. Yeah. And then you'd mentioned something earlier that I really think was key when you were talking about this. It's being able to conjure up these emotions for other people when you were mm -hmm. talking about your positive emotions. Mm -hmm. And um, some of the best work I've had with difficult um, situations in massage when things are coming up where it's something that I may not technically know how to get around or a body's not responding to what I normally would do to help something release is um it's the really connected practice of then in your body create the tension that they're creating if their shoulders are really tight and they're not letting go mm. actually draw it in right and i remember um when i was doing school in texas um there was an older woman who was part of the massage crew she was 75 and she was mm. she was the one who actually told me about eslin Yes. And she was always saying, you know, don't let, take on people's energy. You know, you can, you can take on their, their negative emotions and their pain. I've had knee pain for years because of a bad client who gave me all of her knee pain. And it was like, and just very blaming about it. And hmm. later on, when I was in the baths doing a massage at Esalen, someone was talking to me about this idea of when they're tense, pull it into your body, create the tension and then feel what it's like to release it. Right. And if you feel the feeling of the release, their their field can get the sense of what does it feel like to let go because right. they may have not had that vocabulary that experience right. Right. if they don't have the experience of letting go of softening of right. stopping like stop helping me you know like let your arm drop yeah then how can you fault them for it how but if you model it? it and not not like with words or not by showing them but by right. literally feeling it yourself yes. the body can pick up without the brain having to deal with it yes because both of them are sensory. You know, your brain perceives, your heart perceives, yes. but it should be heart first and then brain after to sift through mm -hmm. and then heart again. But there should be a back and forth. It should be a relationship. And we're all brain. Yeah. And we don't do the heart at all. But I think our hearts are very wise and very perceptive and very able to suss out our needs without the input of our brain. Mm -hmm. It's just, um, it, we're almost... Um, scared to try because it feels like magic it feels like and then it starts feeling like it's imaginary and then it starts feeling like it's um self-indulgent but i mean the reality of it is it's what i've done for 16 years and the reason why i love what i do it mm -hmm. does feel like magic it's 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 also what every successful artist does mm -hmm. it's what every genius does you know if you read if you read um like einstein's works it's it's a constant act of play and it's suspending his own disbelief in the impossibility yes of his situations um, it's it's it it's being willing and courageous to see that the world has so many more mysteries um than we can perceive in our linear minds right. um 
And as you say, like it, it might, the, the solution to, to someone's problem, you know, we, we learn best through often example. Mm -hmm. Language is just a symbolic translation of meaning. Mm -hmm. Um, but through experience, if that's what, that goes back to as a healer, you know, we can only heal things that we have healed in ourselves. So, okay, I, well, if I haven't experienced this tension, what does it feel like to have it? Right. Now, now I have it and I let it go because, and now I can, now I can help. Um, or perhaps, and that's the, that's the beauty yet is that just in that practice, the help, um, is translated, um, is, is felt in a non-cognitive, non-linear way. Um, but that's, I mean, that's, that's the beauty of that, that communication. Um, I, I wanted to ask, are there any other beautiful morsels, um, of lessons you've learned from your extensive training at, uh, and life um, thereafter, but perhaps at Esalen, um, that touched on anything else we talked about? Um, well, I think with, I guess to start with Esalen specifically, um, the importance of place, the mm -hmm. importance of really knowing where you are. And mm -hmm. when I say knowing where you are, like knowing the place as if it were a person, like having relationship to place. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. I think there's so much about being in a city, I mean, and this is still place. There is, there is sentience to this as much as that, that bugs me. It's, I mean, if you, <laughs> if you believe it, you have to believe it all the way. And it's, but at the, <laughs> but at the same time, there's like, um, there's a lot of human energy here. There's, there's a lot of human energy. And I think that's, it's a bit imbalanced. Yes. Yes. But with Esalen, all of the magic that happens there happens because of the place. And this is not to discount the work of the thousands of people that have come through over the years and right. made classes, built the infrastructure, you know, built the art barn and have made the food. And there are a million stories there. But before it was Esalen, it was uh, a healing waters retreat, like something like mm. Mr. Kellogg had in upstate New York. It's like it's that kind of thing. Yeah. And before that, it was Esalen land. And they called it the place where the three waters meet. And it was specifically about the magic of having hot springs, cold springs, and ocean all meeting in this one space. Uh, and it was sacred land. And it is still sacred land, no matter how many people have usurped ownership and taken it over and done sure. whatever they want to with it and built structures and brought Wi-Fi and all the things that, you know, all the things that have been the destruction and downfall of the Esalen that everyone remembers from when they went, sure. you know. Sure. It's on um, change. Yes. That land creates a container for all of the work that happens there. And the work that happens there is healing for everyone. Yes. And every workshop, no matter, because there are usually multiple workshops happening at the same time, but we're all crying together. We're all going through harrowing experiences in these things on purpose mm. in this wonderful container. You can break your heart. You can lose your mind. You can do all of the things that's that you need to yeah. with a safe space. Yeah, how important. And like a safe space where everyone else is in the same boat with you. Yes. We are all going through this horrible experience together well, beautiful. with the tools. <laughs> yeah. well, well, I, both. Yes. And yes, that's, I, I think we put so much negative around the ideas of horrible and terrible, but it's all part of human experience and right. we have to be able to face all of it. And um, because I've gone there for um, Gestalt work, I've gone there for 
um, bodywork training. I've gone there for sacred commerce training. I've gone there just to assist in gardens or for just stays on the land to literally go escape into the woods and play for a week. It's like there's, um, but every time I've gone there, it's the same experience. I mean, I learn technical things in the classes, but it really is to be with that land. Yes. Um, the best times there are, you know, hiding inside of the giant aloe and watching people for two hours with the kids because they're like, come look at the hummingbird hive and you can sit in there and watch or like going up into the creek or going to the sex rock down on the beach that nobody knows about, but everybody knows about. It's like, there's <laughs> Nobody knows, but everyone knows. It's, um, there's, <laughs> yes. it's, it's, it's getting you to no yes. place. That's yes. the importance of Esalen. It reminds you that the place is magic and it's talking to you mm -hmm. and you have to communicate with it. And if you do, you reap great rewards. Mm. And it's what I feel, I feel like during COVID, when everyone was running back to the parks, and I mean, the parks were full. Yeah. And like, I've lived in this city for 10 years, and yeah. the parks used to be just mine. And I'd go out, and there would, I would see two people in a four-hour day. Park, yeah. Um, and then during COVID, they were full of people. And I kind of missed my friend, because everyone else was there. It was too busy. And I think I've talked to you about, you know, if there are too many <laughs> other friends around, I don't want to talk to my friend. It's, I see it. It's, your friend, the park. My the friend, plant. the park, or the place. Yes. yes. It's um, because at the same time, like, I don't want to see my friend going unappreciated. There's something about, like, in the beginning, it was need. You could see droves of need showing up at the park. And, we all did. Yeah. And I, I just, um, and it was a little saddening, you know, that for a while, the park, all it's going to be feeling is need. And I'm glad it's, I, I, I feel like, after the need was finally met, there is some appreciation there. And I feel like there's a greater appreciation now than there was at the beginning of COVID. And I, I'm glad about that. And I know that's not mm. what we were talking about. But... No, it's quite all right. But it's a relationship to a place. It's... San Francisco very likely has many parks. The city planning in the, in the 1800s, when was the city started? Um, the, their parks are plentiful and in every neighborhood, and they have to be because none of us have really backyards. Right. So we really have only the parks as our nature access. We have Golden Gate Park, which is full. It's like a garden. It's full of plants from all over the world. So it's completely, it's basically a realm of fantasy that we've created in the middle of the city. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't exist, but it does. Mm -hmm. Just as humans arguably like, you know, shouldn't all be from everywhere, all in one place, living at the scale we do. Um, but we do. Um, and there's something to that. You're, you're right, like this, the culture around what have humans done here before? Mm. Um, what have maybe even specifically like my ancestors done here? Mm -hmm. And there's, there's meaning, I think is the word that I'm looking for, in place um, and in the way a place feels and that's due of course to its design mm -hmm. its shape but also its past uses and meaning is a beautiful human and like life concept that allows I think has helped me you know I've struggled with depression especially during the uh, pandemic where meaning became challenging because in a world where you're stuck in your home uh, and all the, all the structures that you were used to aren't there, meaning I think became so little and so online and, um, it became a search for what does my career mean? What do my friendships mean? Uh, what do my close relationships mean? How do I navigate them with this new deadly thing? Um, 
why is all of this important? Um, and the antidote, I, I realized that I was living in a world where all the meaning was given to me by someone else. You know, the, your job is meaningful because it's at this building in this important part of town, in this important city, in this important country, and with these important people, and it's meaningful. Um, and you start to realize, like, um, or at least I did, <laughs> I started to realize um, meaning was highly up to me uh, in a world where I didn't have so many physical manifestations. Um, and I didn't actually know as well how to create it on my own. Uh, I didn't know how to conjure it and to, I didn't know how to conjure these feelings. Um, I didn't know how to um, search for what I deeply needed and to, ha and to feel that in others. Uh, and I started to learn, that was one of the first times you and I went on a walk in the parks, which were crowded at the time. <laughs> But we found spaces mm -hmm. and we paid attention. And I think I started to realize there is meaning in very seemingly small things. And that perhaps even maliciously, we are raised to not see meaning in things that society deems not worth, you know, spending time on. Um, like your houseplants <laughs> or the bush in the garden. Um, but there's actually an infinite amount of meaning there. Uh, and if you can create that with your house plan, then from there uh, you can create it with your friend in the small moments that you're just paying attention to them. And then with your community, which has become so important here for me in the city. So I think, I think it all relates. Yeah. Is there anything else you learned from your, your journey at Esalen or any nuggets of wisdom? Or I mean, your, honestly, your I, own I journey? Feel like, I feel like this has been a big Esalen hat. I don't need to add more there. Yes, I, think, I know. Yeah. I think... Uh, <laughs> I think what I'm noticing now mm -hmm. is just how... Um, honestly, how good it feels to have you reflect back what you've learned since you've been with me and connecting it to all that you already know. And like, I see the things that like, I hear key phrases that I know, and then I hear you adding to them and adding others to them and reshaping and reforming. And it's just, that is the other half of the communication. It's the reciprocity. It's not just the giving and the listening. It's then getting to hear it back in their voice. And there's, um, it feels very good. It, it feels like actual. And I, I wish this for you. <laughs> yes, I'm. I'm so glad you will always uh, be a special teacher for me, um, and that's why I wanted to invite you here um, because I think so much has changed in the way I, I see things and uh, and I see people and uh, places because of simple time you know you and I spent and simple things you said that kind of grew into something much larger that's what we want to do here thank <laughs> you